Abba Yahweh, the blessing of your word, your truth, the sharing to my brothers and sisters, for them to have open ears, to hear the spirit of your truth, Father God. Yahweh Aman, Yeshua Aman, Parakritos Aman. Brothers and sisters, good morning. Um, it's quite early in the morning, but the spirit was stirring me and woke me up. And um, this is uh, this is something that that really needs to be heard. And as I have mentioned and several times, and I will tell again that they that have ears, let them hear. If you don't want to hear what's said, simply delete it and don't listen, period. That doesn't bother me. It doesn't trouble me at all because my purpose is to share the word of God, to share the truth. It is the truth, period. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. And going through this book of Revelation, again, don't get all in a wad about the book of Revelation. Oh, the doom and gloom. It's the apocalypse. Oh, my God. Yeah, okay, let's review. The word apocalypse comes from the Greek, and it simply means the unveiling or revealing. The book of Revelation, in many translations, right underneath the heading that says the revelation, and underneath in smaller print, says of Jesus Christ. Depending on the Bible you look at, it should say of Jesus Christ our Lord, or uh, different ways it's wordy, but it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. So pay attention when you read the book of Revelation. Pay attention who's speaking. Pay attention to who's directing. The first chapters, first several chapters of the book of Revelation is the vision of John the Baptist that was given to him of Jesus Christ. And the letters to the churches in the book of Revelation are letters that basically were dictated by Jesus Christ for John to send to the churches. The seven primary churches during that time, he wrote letters to them and they're directed to the angels of the church. And as I mentioned, they call, that's Bible speak for pastors and ministers. And all these letters are intended to be shared by the ministers to their church to get them to turn about, to repent, to change their minds, to change and alter direction because God warns many of them, Jesus Christ, many <clears throat> that they're headed for a fall if they don't repent. And after each one of the sections that John writes to the churches, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Um, that was to the church of Smyrna, the second death being, of course, the separation from uh, us and God and Jesus. And there are each and every time, uh, here he writes to the church of Pergamos, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. This is each and every section that he writes to the churches. He that hath an ear, let him hear. And this is important. The, the church in Pergamos was, um, we spoke about it, or I spoke about it, and shared with you all that, that this is a church of compromise. This is uh, some call Pergamos the city of Satan. Well, actually, Jesus Christ called them that. Um, in 2.13, 
I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith, even in those days where Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. So Pergamos, the city, <clears throat> understand is a very, I shared with you before, it's a, a center for healing in the church and the uh, buildings and whatnot and the symbols and things that were put on there. But interesting enough, uh, the caduceus, which is the symbol for medicine, which was taken from many of the buildings that were there in Pergamos, is actually a, some say it is a combination of the scepter of Mercury, who was, uh, or Hermes, uh, Hermes the Greek and uh, Mercury the Roman. Um, so the interesting thing is that that was, that's a false god. I mean, they worshiped Mercury. They worshiped many of the gods from uh, Olympus that were in Greek mythology, they adopted back and forth. <clears throat> and these were adopted by them. And the problem that Jesus Christ had with the church in Pergamos was their compromise. And these letters, all of these letters are actually appropriate and adaptable to the churches today. Because look around and see the churches that have compromised everything. And then you have those preachers, those false teachers that get up behind the pulpit and tell their church that they need to be more tolerant and that we just need to compromise with what's going on and that, uh, you know, to be a good Christian, you have to do that. That's a lie. It's not truth. And it's not according to the Bible. You must be bold to stand up and speak the truth. And if you can't speak the truth, you will suffer the consequences according to the Bible, which always speaks the truth and which I will say. And again, they that have an ear, let them hear. If you don't want to hear what I have to say, don't listen, period. I don't get in a wad about it. I just don't care. I'm about my father's business, and it's not about compromise. It's not about stepping aside, about anything. If the Bible says it's an abomination to God, then it must be an abomination to his true believers and his followers, period, exclamation point, no question. So pastors just stand up behind the pulpit, shame on you for telling your church that we need to be more relevant with time and we need to be more tolerant. Let me tell you this picture that is painted really vividly in this, my, my, uh, one of my favorite pastors, again, was listening to uh, his teaching, and it, it's so vivid. What a picture. So the church of today has become so hell-bent, yes, hell-bent on compromising with the word the world, pardon me, and being more tolerant of what's going on around us in order to be better Christian. Well, that's a lie in itself. You don't have to be a better Christian by being tolerant and saying that what's an abomination of God's not an abomination to satisfy the world. The problem is that the church is so bent on compromising and being relevant that they have now developed into irrelevancy. People don't care anymore. There was a time, and, and the pastor brought this up, and I look back, and I remember. Church used to be important to this country. Used to be important to government officials. 
I can remember as a young person before Nancy Pelosi became Speaker of the House and before these other shifty characters came into, into being. And I mention her name because I think she's an abominable position of leadership as some others. Um, and she has openly spoken against in God we trust and that we no longer need to have prayer in the chambers and we no longer need to say the Pledge of Allegiance. Has anyone recited the Pledge of Allegiance uh, of any later just kind of thought about it? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. And it talks about one nation under God. Hmm. And they're willing to compromise and be tolerant of their position so that people aren't offended by what they say or what they do. And they're so worried about that, as is the church. And in the book of Revelation, you just read through two, and you read through this in the church of Pergamos in 12 through 17. Revelation 2, 12 through 17. It's the church of tolerance and the church of compromise and that is the ought that our Christ has against that church. They've stood up, and it is in a hateful place. It's in the, the, the city, the seat of Satan, as Jesus called it. That's, he called it the capital city of hell, or basically of Satan. He didn't call it hell, but he, he called it Satan's seat, which is the government seat. That's term now used for... Uh, the seat of government, the capital city. That's where the honcho hangs out. That's where the governor lives. That's where the president is, in the seat of government, the central focal point. And Jesus Christ called the church out in Pergamos. He said, I know where you're at. He said, I know what it is. I know what this city is about. Remember, our God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He knows all those things. But what he told them is that he has ought against you because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication so that the house, so that thou also them that hold doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. So for those of you that don't know, the Nicolaitans were... Um, they started out kind of like this, but then they started compromising with every facet of the world, everything. And they become a, a very um, prodigal church, if you would call it. Uh, but, and, and the problem was that they drew many others in from their belief in God and, and the Bible and the way that it should be and taught and they drew them into their doctrinal belief, and they dissolved many churches by that action, and that God really is upset about them for that purpose. And I'm sharing this because I see what's going on in the world today, and it very much saddens me that there are many churches, and I've shared with you before that there are actually individuals that I had, I had, I had, 
a great deal of respect for as um, ministerial leaders, and then hearing them stepping aside and apologizing for the word of God and for what was said, and that they were sorry for not being more tolerant? No, that's unacceptable behavior, period. According to the Bible, that's unacceptable. God does not need us to apologize. If you cannot stand up when the water gets rough and the boat starts to rock, sadness and Jesus warns the church of Pergamos that because they have allowed the compromise to come in and, and there no more is their prayer in the council chambers and Capitol Hill, the seat of government, no more. They don't pray, they don't pledge allegiance, and they even want to take off of our currency in God we trust. What is going on? And there was one time when I grew up that you saw all this all the time. I can remember before the, the uh, State of the Union. Sorry, folks, I forget things. I'm old. Er. But not done because I'm not done until God says I'm done. Moses was 80 years old when God turned him back into Egypt. Caleb was 85 when he went in and destroyed the giants that were in the land that he was promised of by God. And he went to Joshua and said, I want you to bless me because I'm going to go in and I'm going to kick the giants out of the place that God told me I could have. Joshua said, okay. And off he went. He took his men and they kicked the giants out. Yes, more giants. Goliath was not some kind of freak of nature. He was from a line of giants that existed during that time. And there is talk about the king of those folks. His bed was 15 feet long and it was made of iron just so it could hold him. He was so big. So at any rate, let's not get distracted by that. So we have this compromise thing that's going on with government. And it, it, growing up at the State of the Union, I can remember that every single time, and I can remember when they were going to have the news was going to televise a meeting in Congress, there was a pause because the pastor was going to pray for good decisions and guidance for those elected officials every single time there was prayer and they recited the pledge of allegiance it was done period now it's so much worry even in the churches that they're worried about being so tolerant and having to be more relevant with the world that you don't even see that anymore Governments don't ask the church for squat. Rarely. You might have some few scattered that will come back to the church and ask the pastor to, to pray. I mean, I can remember when Pastor Billy Graham was invited to Capitol Hill oftentimes and would go in and open up many times with prayer. This was televised. This was a normal procedure. 
Pledge of Allegiance and prayer. Prayer, Pledge of Allegiance. Always it was that way. Before the State of the Union was ever broadcast, the beginning started with a prayer and then the Pledge of Allegiance and then the State of the Union was addressed. And you don't even see that anymore. And nobody even questions this. So let me ask you this, brothers and sisters. As a, as a Christian, a true believer, I must question, and I do question, the churches that don't practice standing up. They want to step down. They want to step aside and compromise. I'm not talking about being confrontational. You don't have to go out and beat the drums and scream in people's faces and argue with them because they don't want to hear you. Jesus didn't preach that way. He didn't teach that way. What did he tell the disciples when he sent them into the world? For them that don't want to hear what you have to say, turn your back, stomp your feet, get the dust of that city or that that uh, dwelling off of your clothing and dust yourself off and go on your way. You don't have to argue with anyone. But don't apologize for God, my sovereign Lord. Don't apologize for Jesus Christ. Why does there have to be an apology made to anyone because they're offended because you said Jesus Christ or offended because you said Yahweh, Abba, he's my father, he's my creator. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. No, you don't need to apologize for offending. If they're offended, they're offended. Simple as that. The way that you get by that is say, oh, didn't mean to bother. I'll be on my way. And walk away. You don't even have to say anything. If they start getting in your face and they start screaming about how offended they are about something, simply turn and walk away. Do not offer an apology to them for speaking the truth. People want to hear lies. They, sadly, they appreciate a lie more than they appreciate a truth nowadays. That is the way of the world. But we are in the world, that doesn't mean we have to be of the world. And the word of God tells us, in the world, not of the world. Of the world is being compromising, being cowards, stepping down, stepping aside, being apologetic for speaking the truth. I'm, I'm not about that. And I'm not going to say I'm sorry for anything I say. If you don't want to hear it, simply delete the broadcast and don't listen. Plain and simple. And if the shoe fits, then wear it. Don't sit there and say, oh, he's offended. He's offended me. He said this and he said that. Don't listen. What are you going off and squawking about? This is one of the things that Jesus Christ talked about that's going on within the churches. The derisive attitude that's made up by two or three of them. And you have one that, that I'll get back to. Paul writes to uh, because there's two women, members of the congregation, and they're at odds with one another, and they've got the side, the church is divided because they've got people that take sides with them. What? Cut it out. That's happening today for Pete's sake. I've visited churches where that is, you can see it. It's almost, it's almost as if you have an invisible um, saran wrap barrier that you see two people unroll down the middle and then they start pulling it tight and people separate. You can see it. How crazy is that? That's nuts. We are to be of one mind, one body, one heart, pray for one another, exhort one another, and lift each other up. 
That's what we're supposed to be about. And brothers and sisters, I say, I speak the way I do to, to shake you up and rattle, get you thinking. Look at what Jesus is talking about through John the Baptist. The book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And these churches that Jesus is addressing through John in these letters are as relevant today as they were then when Jesus had him write them. The book of God is relevant today. The same yesterday, today, and for always. From the beginning, the word was with God. The word became flesh. Jesus Christ is the word, and he came to deliver that word. And there's people that get offended by that. Oh, it's not relevant. They want to rewrite the Bible. Okay, folks, here's going to be an offensive issue. I don't care. You have one of the, the Pope has decided he wants to rewrite the Bible because it's not as relevant today as it was. Excuse me. Um, let me go back here. I'm, pardon me. You could probably hear me turning the pages, and I am. And I'm going back to chapter 22 in the book of Revelation. Okay, I'm going to just read 17 through 21. And the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him that hears say, come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will let him take the water of life freely. Whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Whoever wants to be saved can be saved. They just have to declare that. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of this prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. He which testified these things saith, Surely I am come quickly, amen, even so come Lord Jesus. Brothers and sisters, it's plain and simple. In closing the book, John writes that anyone that decides to rewrite that book and erase parts of it or eliminate parts of it, which there is word being spread about that uh, there are individuals that want to rewrite the Bible and completely erase Israel out of it because people are offended by Israel. Well, you know what? That's kind of too bad because it's biblical history, it's world history, and you're offended, then just don't listen. You have those members that were, <laughs> and how this happened, I don't know. But anyway, I'm not gonna get into a political debate and drama about it. It's just pretty sad and pathetic, actually. But in trying to be more relevant, that more destruction is being allowed. And I will address this one thing, is that you have commentators that will get on, um, and scream about how terrible Israel is because they retaliated against being attacked and that because certain places were destroyed and how abominable they are. Well, let me ask you a question here, and this is just food for thought. Is it abominable to retaliate in the way that military equipment and things work, and having been a veteran, is that you have a thing called the reverse azimuth that your equipment can pick up from the direction of the line of fire, and they can pick up where it's coming from, and then their equipment can lock onto that, and they shoot back. 
And because you have individuals, and it happened with Saddam Hussein actually, hid armor and military convoys and uh, rocket launchers and other long-distance weapons that were being used, he actually hid them in hospitals and schools. And I remember the first school that got blasted, that everyone cried and screamed about how terrible uh, the United States was for doing that, except for that his rocket launchers and things were hidden in there. So how despicable is it that a military retaliates against something like that or that they use children and old people and those that are sickly in hospitals as a shield? It's ugly business, let me tell you. I, I, I would much rather that the world be brothers and sisters like we're called to be and it breaks my heart that we even have to be in that I've been in some places brothers and sisters I've seen some things and as a warrior I tend to lean in that direction sometimes you can tell by my messages I'm that part of it kind of troubles me a little bit, but I'm not going to back down. I'm not going to compromise. I'm definitely not going to surrender because the truth is a truth. And that's just the way it is, period. I tell the truth. I speak the truth. I will not compromise the truth, period. The truth from the Bible comes through my God and the Holy Spirit, and I will speak that truth. And once again, if you don't want to hear it, don't listen. It's really easy to do. And if the shoe fits, then wear it. My mom used to say that all the time. If the shoe fits, wear it. Which means that if an accusation is made and it applies to you, then you have to accept the responsibility for it. If it doesn't, don't get in a wad about it. Just ignore it. It doesn't make any difference. And let me share this with you too. There's certain aspects of what I do in my my daily walk that I have to be more like that because um, it's not who I am it's what I do and I've been redeemed redemption oh, speaking of that bringing that up redemption what is redemption I have several different definitions redemption act of atoning for a fault or a mistake we make mistakes. When we sin, we make mistakes. Jesus Christ came. He hung on a cross and he bled for that mistake. And we have been redeemed. Deliverance or rescue. Oh, yes, he came to rescue us. He did. He is our Savior because he gave us the opportunity to accept him as our only begotten Son. Theologically, deliverance from sin. <laughs> Theologically, you don't have to be a theologian to be able to understand that. Jesus Christ came and washed us in his blood, redeemed us from that mistake, the, the life that we had, that mistake, that error, so that we can repent, change our mind, change our direction. Atonement for guilt. Same thing. Satan likes to get us to waller in guilt. Waller, that's countrified. Wallow, wallow. 
<laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just running things through my head as as I'm speaking here. But uh, he gets us to waller in that and and be bound up and, and keep ourselves with because that's one of the other pseudonyms of Satan is the accuser, and that's what he likes to do. And if you listen and you lean into that accusation and the the uh, beleaguering that he does to people, then you start to believe and you start to bow, you start to bow over and you don't lift your shoulders up and walk high and hold on to the promises of God anymore. You start to believe those things. You can only be guilty if you allow yourself to be feel guilty, okay? If you allow yourself to feel guilty, then you slump your shoulders you don't smile, and I see a lot of Christians <laughs> claiming to be Christians that walk around, they don't smile. You don't have to walk around with a grin on your face all day, every day. I mean, there's moments, but I mean, for crying out loud, you're sitting in the house of God, you're supposed to be worshiping, and I see, look, and I see these same persons, they have such a dour look on their face. They look like they are miserable. They look like somebody put a choke collar around them and drug them to church to force them to sit in there. And if you don't want to be there, get up and walk away. But I mean, you're in the house of God and you're there to praise God. And that doesn't make you want to rejoice. And usually when a person is joyful or rejoicing, they kind of smile, they lift themselves up. But just, I don't know if they're, they've been doing that for so long through their life that now their muscles are frozen that way. I don't understand. I, sometimes I get in church, I can't help to laugh out loud. I get giddy when I go to visit God. And I get that way in my house when I'm by myself. My dogs look at me like I'm a net bird. You know, I... You know, and sometimes I fall into tears. I mean, and they come and they try to comfort me because they think that something's wrong. And But it, it just, anyway, uh, it's a repurchase. Been bought. We're bought. He came to pay our bond, our bail. And he did that through his blood. The paying off. Okay, here's one that you might not get the analogy, or some might, and they think that, what kind of a... Eh, if you get offended by it, too bad. It's the biggest pawn ticket there is, man. The biggest pawn ticket that, that's been placed out there is that our lives on loan to this place, as they are, face the reality, folks, they are. But Jesus Christ came in his sacrifice to pay off that pawn ticket. The biggest pawn that ever existed. And he did that. He paid that off. There is nothing we can do, possibly do, that can repay that. Nothing. He did that. He redeemed us. As I shared with you with, about Ruth, she was redeemed of God because she came and she exercised great faith and left her pagan gods, her false idols and false gods, which Israel fell in line with during the time when, when Balaam uh, misled Balak and Balak 
because Balak was trying to pay him off to curse Israel, and he could not because God forbid that to be done. You can't go curse them. Not going to allow that. And Balaam actually inferred to Balak that they can be misdirected. And so Israel came in. They took Moabite women but the problem with that is not so much that in that they started to worship the false idols, the false gods. They took sacrificial food that was offered to false gods and idols. And they ate. Just like in the book of Daniel, when Daniel went up against the Chaldeans and their false prophets against the false gods and said, we're going to continue eating what we eat and pray our way. And I'll bet you that our God's going to beat up your God. <laughs> Yeah, okay. And it happened. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Hanzariah, they ended up keeping weight on, healthy, strong, where the others diminished. And their faculties, their mental faculties were strong, good, and bright. And my goodness, look at everything that happened with them. So with Ruth, that she gave up her false idol, the false god, and she declared that God, Yahweh, sovereign Lord, would be her Lord and her God, and she stayed with Naomi and left her people. She was redeemed because of her faith, and she placed that faith in God. God honored that, and he honored that how? Because she married Boaz, and they begat Obed, who begat Jesse, who begat David. And as you know, as you go farther down the line, Jesus Christ in his earthly person is in the line of David. And where was he born? He was born in Bethlehem of Judah. Where did Naomi and Ruth go to? went back to her people in Bethlehem. It started there. Jesus Christ was born there. And it came to fruition. So anyway, brothers and sisters, I love you. You have a blessed day. And I pray for your strength your uprightness. Be bold, brothers and sisters. Don't step down. Don't step aside. Don't be confrontational. Just be steadfast in the truth. You don't have to be tolerant of ideologies. People, yes, ideologies, no. They are an abomination. There are elected officials that are in place right now where I hate their ideologies. I hate their ideologies. It tears me up as a veteran, a patriot, American citizen, but as a Christian believer and follower of Jesus Christ, God, my Father, the Holy Spirit, I pray for them. I have to pray for them because the Bible tells me I am supposed to do that. They are a person and they deserve the opportunity. Yes, even they deserve an opportunity to be able to repent and say, I changed my mind. I'm a, I, that was despicable. My ideals were not good. 
Father God, forgive me, I repent, and I take Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I believe that he is your only begotten son. And that can be done anyone, anytime, listening to me right now. If this is your first time listening, welcome aboard. But here's the thing. If you've never taken the opportunity to say those words, I I'm sorry, forgive me. I want to believe and I accept that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And I look to your word for truth, redemption. Father God, forgive me. It's done. All you have to do is do so earnestly from your heart. You can do it by yourself. You can get a trusted friend or somebody that you know is is a, a good church goer or a good believer and just ask them to pray with you. You can even do it on your own. You don't have to have a big old fanfare and you don't have to go to an altar call, although it's kind of nice to get a whole bunch of hands put on you. I mean, that's kind of cool. You know, I've done it a, a few times and sometimes when I get sick to come up there and when you have brothers and sisters put their hands on you and pray over you, I mean, that's what we're called to do. And it's a nice feeling because you can actually feel the warmth of the spirit come through them to you and it, it's anyway we're told that we're supposed to do that pray for one another brothers and sisters i pray for you i pray for you daily your courage and your uprightness and if you've never taken the opportunity to say jesus christ i love you to come into my life take that opportunity the purpose that i have is to be about my father's business and that business is to give everyone an opportunity to be saved and to go to heaven it'd be nice to see you all up there and here's the deal Although I don't see you and I don't know who many of you are and may never ever meet any of you. Some of you that listen are my brothers and sisters, been in my church and and my life group. And that's a very cool thing. I know them. But those others, when we get to heaven, you get up there, you do that thing that I told you to do. And we get to heaven, we're going to know each other. I'm going to know you. You're going to know me. Anyway. You have a blessed day. Have a good day. And I'm going to quit yakking because, I don't know, I was told that I can be verbose. Have a good day, brothers and sisters.